Welcome to the Nature of Mind podcast. Our mind is our most valuable asset and most dangerous possession. It can be amazingly creative or terrifyingly destructive. The Nature of Mind project invites you to learn from thinkers in psychology, neuroscience, philosophy and Buddhism. Learn more at natureofmind.net. We hope you enjoy this episode. So the, the first thing I wanted to sort of talk to you about was, well, one of the things you say in your book, you say that we human beings are sort of, we're, we're designed, as it were, to thrive on compassion and kindness. I was really struck by that, that we're, we, we thrive through compassion and kindness. And of course, I'm really aware, just as you're really aware of the war in the Ukraine at the moment. And it doesn't look like, does it, at a, at a, at a, at a glance, at you know, Europe now and of even more so of European and the world history, it doesn't look like we're thriving on compassion and kindness. I wonder whether you could, we could jump in with where, how did you get to that idea that that's, that's what we're built to do? And how do you put that alongside, you know, the horrors that we're seeing around us just now? I thought we'd start with that larger question. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. So, I mean, a lot depends where you look. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Poland and how people are trying to help refugees, then you would see a lot of compassion mm. and kindness, wouldn't you? So it depends mm, where you yeah, look. Yeah, so the key really is to understand the transition that humans made from basic primates through to being human, right? So if you look at most primate societies, not bonobos, but other ones, um, they're all pretty much dominated through aggression. Aggression is what real r- runs the show. So you've got your dominant males who kind of terrorize all the subordinates. And if the subordinates try to get a bit uppity, then they get whacked, will not you? Mm. So that's the way it is. Now, what happened was there was a transition during a period of what we call hunter-gatherers. It started a little bit be- before that. And what that happened there was that the subordinates started to gang up against aggressive males and basically kick them out of the group. Mm. And there's some very interesting work that uh, Sapolsky found in terms of monkeys who got rid of their aggressive males actually by mistake because the aggressive males ate some poison foods. So they all died off. And the group actually became quite a peaceful group. Mm. Now, this is quite important for what comes later when we think about Ukraine. Mm. So that's quite important. So the key thing then is to see, so what happened in that transition? So we went from a transition where you had power and dominance really running the roost through to what became hunter-gatherer societies, and that was care and share. Mm. Care and share was a way in which we survived by literally caring and sharing for each other. And a lot of our social brain is orientated for sharing and caring. And if you think about people when they're at their happiness that's when they're at their happiest where they have relationships they can share and care Mm. or they go out and enjoy being with each other go to the go to the restaurants or whatever it is and they share a joke or a story Mm. or whatever so we are basically orientated for for that and that's that's very important and we also have a whole range of physiological systems in our body that's very sensitive to signals of being cared for and Mm. and being liked and friendships and so on unfortunately what happened Uh, was we then invented agriculture. Hmm. And agriculture changed the game completely because caring and sharing societies were uh, groups were were immediate foraging and returning. There wasn't any storing of resources. People couldn't really have more than anybody else Hmm. and, uh, and so on. But with agriculture, we, the groups got larger 
we could start storing resources. Resources could now be owned. And within you know, a relatively short time, we'd recreated dominant hierarchies again mm. with dominant males primarily, but not only at the top. And if you look at all of the major civilizations uh, from the um, um, uh, Hittites through to the Egyptians, through to the Romans, through to the Vikings, they're all pretty much the same, mm. uh, pretty violent societies that suppress the population through uh, terror. If you think of the Romans, the mm. awful crucifixions and stuff that went on there. Mm. Um, and we're only just beginning to emerge once again out of being run by terrorist groups, really, mm. uh, even in, the, say, even um, in, the, in Britain as well. You know, we went through a terrible time in the Middle Ages where we hunted down witches and we tortured mm. people and we hung loads of people for simple crimes like stealing the loaf of bread. Mm. So we're only really just beginning to think about, well, do we really want to live like this mm. or do we want to have a much more sharing and caring society? Mm. But, and that's so in the last, you know, 100 years, I think we've, we've moved on quite a bit you know, got rid of slavery and, and mm. all the other horrors that we've managed to create because we have we are probably one of the most vicious, nasty species that have ever existed. Mm. And we have to understand that. We have a terrible dark side, really nasty dark side. Mm. So we're, we're beginning to stand against that. We're beginning to understand the importance of the rule of law and, and so on. But in a way, Putin is a bit of a throwback. In mm. a, a typical, old-fashioned, aggressive male, into conquest, into control, into entitlement. And if we don't find ways of subduing and stopping these individuals getting into positions of power, we're always going to be, you know, haunted by them because we mm. have over the last 5,000 mm. years, right? There's nothing new about Putin. Right. Putin is a classic mm. dominant male. You know, if you look at the Second World War, you had a whole load of them, Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini, a whole mm. load of them. Mm. Get these guys together. If you look at some of the things that are going on in Neymar and all other places, you know, where you have these problems all the time, these dominant, aggressive males who are into... Um, entitlement and will turn their populations against each other and so on. So that's the issue. So mm. the issue then is, so we can understand it in terms of the process. And uh, the next thing is, how do you bring a compassionate solution? Well, we do actually have solutions. Mm. Um, one is, of course, prevention. That's very, very important. And we can talk about how you do that. But the other one is that uh, we probably missed an opportunity in eighty nine. 1991, mm. when the war came down, Khrushchev, I think, did a fantastic job. And there was an opportunity then to almost treat Russian, Russia in the way that we did Germany after the Second World War, mm. which is to not humiliate your enemy, but build them up and make sure they're integrated into your into democratic societies, because mm. Russia doesn't really have much of a history of democratic societies, but for all kinds of reasons mm. <laughs> to do with right-wing thinking, uh, that was decided not to go down that route, but rather to go down the route of uh, we're just going to go back to being a primate and we're going to be stronger than you and more threatening than you and then you won't be able to do anything, will you? <laughs> and that was a disaster. Mm. So <clears throat> we're coming up to a fork in the road <clears throat> where we have the opportunity again, post-Putin, to integrate, to work, to show compassion to um, Russia and to, how, you know, to be aware that actually they, like all other populations, they just get pulled along by yeah. the processes that these dominant males and dominant organizations create. But underneath that, most Russians, like most humans, really would prefer peace, mm. cooperation, integration. Mm. And we've got some, not only have we got Germany and Japan, there's another 
um, country which has completely changed mm. but also south africa have got the truth and reconciliation so compassion is going to have to go down that road if you if you ask me how we stop it mm. we have to have a very good um, truth and reconciliation process after the war mm. how that happens i'm not quite sure mm. we've got to be very careful about once again, starting to say that NATO has to build up its arms and become tough. Mm. Yeah, of course, mm. you need to be able to defend yourself if you want to. But your first move, that shouldn't be your first move. Your sh mm. first move should always be to try as best you can to integrate these societies into democratic, uh, socially just, rule of law, uh, control over the media, control over politics uh, as best you can. Mm. That That's how you, you we end up with a peaceful world, mm. really. Mm. Gosh, there's a lot in there that I'd like to explore. But one, one thing I'll just explore quickly, or perhaps not quickly, is, you know, th this question of of hierarchy and dominant males and, you know, mm, the mm, horrors mm. that we've, we've seen um, yeah. through history. Do you have any sense that there could be a positive hierarchy where, because you we've all, ha haven't we also seen sort of leading males who, I, I can't actually think of any of them, but <laughs> haven't we seen leading males who, who aren't acting in that in that way? Oh, yes, of course, there are leading, you know, Nelson Mandela comes to mind. Yeah, and of course, of course. Uh, uh, that's true. And then you have Gandhi and various others. And, of mm. course, then you have the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have thought of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I just want to go back to this question of, you know, these do the dominant males that we you, we were just talking about. And, you know, history, as you, you say, is it's, it's full of, a, of that terrible story. And yet, at the same time, I think it seems to me that human beings are naturally hierarchical. You can't sort of get rid of that, as it were. And there are instances, aren't there, of positive hierarchies of, of you know, male figures or female figures, indeed, being, you know, a very good for what, what, What's your sense of that? You know, what, what makes a difference? And what would you think about sort of hierarchy generally, you know, from that point of view? Oh, absolutely. We have a lot of different hierarchies, don't we? We have hierarchies of wisdom, you know. Mm. You want to go and see the senior consultant rather than the junior yes. or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So hierarchies are very important. Um, the key issues with, with hierarchy is what, what is their function? What are they there to do? Mm. And to what extent are they useful to the people below them? Or to what extent are they being exploited by the people who have the power? Mm. Those are the big issues, really. And, of course, the damaging hierarchies are the ones which um, attract individuals who want to be up the hierarchy because they can advantage themselves, mm. whereas individuals who want power because they can make it of value to other people, mm. uh, that's a different kind of situation. And so you're quite right. I mean, there are many, many hierarchies mm. uh, in everyday life all the time, mm. um, but those hierarchies work for the benefit of us, not for the, the detriment. Mm. Mm. So I want to... Because you know, reading the compassionate man and looking at your your work, I wanted to. What what strikes me is it feels like a, a big idea, uh, as in the in the best sense that you're, and this bit the idea seems to me to be that you know what we've said about, you know we're here to thrive through compassion and kindness, uh, and we'll explore some of the issues that evoke come, come out of that. But two elements of the big idea I thought would be good just to hear about is something about old brain and new brain that you've talked about quite a lot and these three systems in the mind I thought it'd be good just to sort of because they, they form to me the sort of basis of this the idea as it were of compassion yeah so I don't know whether perhaps start with an old brain new brain yes or, well you know. that's to do with uh, 
um, our competencies because you can make a distinction between things that motivate us, right? Things we want to do, and that's our attention, and that will carry us through our lives. You want to be a good, a good Buddhist, or you want to be a good father, or a good psychologist, whatever it is. Um, and then we have our emotions, which come and go. You know, you can have a, a period of feeling joy or a period of feeling anxious, but they 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 guide your behavior in the moment, but not over many years, really. Mm. And then we have what we call competencies. Now, competencies are very important because, uh, for example, birds need wings to fly, but they also need a brain that will guide them. And one of the things that humans uh, evolved very rapidly over about two million years is cognitive competencies, which is our, we call them new brain functions, which is our ability to think and reasons. We have a capacity for understanding the nature of the world and our place in it vastly superior as far as we know might be wrong um, than any other animal Mm. Um, we also have capacities for empathy and understanding the mind of the other and recognizing that people behave because they have motives and emotions just like you and i Mm. and we also have this uh, competency for consciousness of consciousness to be consciously aware that we are aware Mm. which of course is the basis of mindfulness because without that you can't can you and these three give rise to what we call as knowing intentionality. Mm. And they're quite fundamental. They are the game changers of life, right? Mm. Basically, until humans, as far as we know, uh, life didn't understand itself. It was, no, it was not conscious of itself, mm. but we are, okay? Mm. So, for example, a lion intends to hunt its prey and will do so so it clearly has intention and motive Mm. but uh it can't do it knowingly it can't suddenly decide you know what all this hunting is very cruel i think (laughs) i'll become a vegetarian Uh, (laughs) or i need to train because i'm so unfit you know not catching anything these days so so but we have knowing intentionality and part of the meditation um um, process as you know mm. is to facilitate our ability for mind awareness and knowing intentionality so that we can knowingly choose our intention of how to live and mm. of course i would say compassionately is very mm. very important mm. but in order to do that we have to be able to be have mind aware so those are those are what we would call new brain competencies that we don't think other animals have they might mm. but we don't think they do and mm. they're absolutely game changers mm. and we can use our competencies for good but also for ill we mm. can also um, choose to make weapons of mass destruction or something mm. and um, so in that situation because we would often confuse empathy with compassion compassion is basically a motivation a desire oh. and empathy is a competency an ability mm. and you can use empathy in different ways you to be deceitful if mm. you if you uh, yeah of course yeah. Uh, or to be helpful mm. you know if you mm. if you're very in tune with people you can work out how you could fool them mm, um, as well as how you can help them so distinguishing between the different dimensions of mind are very important and Cognitive competencies, our ability to think and reason and understand and have science and our ability to be empathic and our ability to be mindful and aware and consciously aware, choose our intention. They're all very important and they're not necessarily uh, go together. I mean, you can have people who are incredibly intelligent and win Nobel Prizes, Mm. but they're not particularly empathic, nor Mm. are they particularly mindful. Mm. And Mm. equally, you can have some wonderfully empathic people we're never going to win a Nobel Prize because they're just not quite there. You know what I mean? Mm. So these are different competencies in the brain. That's why we call them new brain competencies. Yeah. Mm. 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 And then you've got these three, one of of the absolute bedrocks to your thinking is these three systems that we have, the threat system, a 
an incentive system, yes. a, a soothing system. Um, and I was particularly struck, you know, by the relationship between a, affection and kindness and the soothing system. Yes. Uh, something that I think I've actually missed out a bit in my life. Yes. Uh, but let's let's talk about those three systems of it, and then perhaps start to look more individually. As yes. Well. Yeah. Well, for a long time, of course, psychology said positive emotions, negative emotions. That was the way it was. Hmm. But if you think of emotions from an evolutionary point of view, then emotions need to do three things. And there are three basic, all life forms have three basic motives. Mm. One motive is to be able to detect and respond to threats. Mm. So plants, it would be water, you know, they curl their leaves to protect themselves from water shortages and so forth. Um, even bacteria in your gut can distinguish between toxic and un, mm. and uh, and healthy areas for them, and they move away from the toxic. Mm. So this capacity for the detection of threat and the ability to respond to threat when it's detected that is a fundamental motive for all living things. Mm. But of course, also all living things need to be able to get resources. They need to not just to deal with threats, but they need to be able to eat or whatever. Mm. Mm. Um, and for animals that move, we need to be able to find find food and shelter and mates and reproduce and all that stuff. So we those are all what we call drive emotions, emotions which are really propel you out there to do things, achieve things, and so mm. on and so on. But you can't just spend your whole life either achieving things or running away from predators or mm. whatever. Um, it's also important for the body to be able to rest and digest. And that is to, for the body to be in a state of more quiescence, mm. where the drive for achieving and doing and obtaining resources and also for working with threats is settled. And mm. this other aspect, which is linked to part of the uh, autonomic nervous system we call the vagus so that you can just then settle and mm. rest and mm. you're not seeking anything now what we know so those are your three basic systems and mm. really they just link on to the three basic life tasks so your threat system obviously has the emotions of anger and anxiety those sort of things mm. um the um drive system has anticipation excitement and various things mm. and your rest and digest system has what we call the soothing emotions which is the contentment the slowing the grounding the just being present the being mode as it's mm. sometimes called that's mm. important so the question you're interested in is very important which is that as we grow up our parents have an impact on how those three emotions become developed cultivated and regulated so mm. unfortunately children who grew up in in abusive homes obviously their threat system becomes very overly stimulated mm. and um, they may be very driven to achieve things and do things but that's partly because of the dealing with the threats you know they're trying to work with the threats so people have been in a way like putin you know mm. people have had a difficult background which he did he mm. i think his parents um treated him as special, but he 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 lived a very um in a lot of poverty. His mother nearly died of starvation. There were lots of rats where he was and he was mm. a small chap, got bullied a lot. Mm. So those then they seek power to because they want control. It's a threat based mm. process of power. Mm. As opposed to a joyful uh, I just just like doing well, you know, like <laughs> the joyful, the joyful. Mm. So joyfulness is extremely important. Um 
and how parents do that is through play and affection and mm. make the child feel, you know, the ability to play, very, very important for children, the mm. ability just to feel I don't have to worry about, I can just have fun, I can just mm. be, you know, full of beans. And if you watch children, because we've got a grandchild who's mm. just uh, nearly four now, I mean, he just runs around and mm. so he, he, a lot of joy, a lot of drive, a lot of joy jumping up and down, watch me do this and mm. I can do this. So then that's important. But what parents also do is through the process of loving and, and kindness and holding, they also they also act as a soothing object. So when the child is very distressed, they mm. will soothe the child down. And uh, this capacity to be experience others, you do your parents, as soothers, they are individuals who will be there that can help you. That mm. means that we have a very different way of dealing with threat. Mm. Because most animals, to deal with threat, they have to deal with it by themselves. They run away or whatever. Mm. But humans can turn to others for support and help and mm. and uh, feelings of kindness. And then that stimulates that rest and digest system. And that mm. rest and digest system then calms down the threat system. That's what it does. It calms it down. Mm. So when children don't get those inputs particularly, they can be left uh, with a sense of a disconnection, a sense of yearning, mm. and in a sense of emptiness or loneliness, because the the systems are still searching, mm. they're looking for it, right? Mm. Because mm. a lot of these systems are what we call lock and key, like because we talked earlier about Jung, you know, mm. they they have mm. they have a seeking, you know, you're meant to be getting love and affection, that's what you're born for, right. <laughs> you're yeah. to get it. So if you don't get it, the the caring system doesn't give up; mm. it kind of sits underneath giving you that sense that actually there's something missing you mm. you need to you know and the other problem is that when people have that experience they think well maybe i'm not caring in love because maybe i wasn't good enough or i was this or i was that mm. or whatever it is so maybe if i change myself then i will be able to have a sense of connectedness with other people then i will feel a uh, part of and a sense of belonging and i can get joyful and i can be played and all that stuff mm. so um that's how the three systems work really mm. but the, the loving kindness is important for all three of them mm. Yeah, I want to let's explore that a bit more before we come to the personal. Because one of the things that strike, strikes me again is, well, one of the things interestingly exploring your work is that you, you do talk about childhood, but you also talk very much about social context. Yeah. In yeah. effect, you know, reading the compassionate mind, you, it's quite a long time before we really get to. It's certainly not just all focused on childhood, no, is right, it? That's right. That's uh, right. One of the things that struck me is how how much you're talking about how brain is co-created yes that's how, right. how your experience is co-created yes that's right uh, i wonder we might just say something about that and have social context because there's a lot about social context in your work aren't yes there? yes yes and i mean you, you say my idea which is lovely is a, but of course there's a huge number of people who you know are saying pretty much the same things in, mm. in certain ways so that's right i mean if you think about you know if you and i had been born into italy say two and a half thousand years ago we wouldn't have thought anything about having slaves and treating them not very well or mm. going to the Roman games and enjoying people being slaughtered as, oh, yeah, good. Because <laughs> right. that was all part of the culture. And mm. we know that in the way in which we operate within cultures, it can also have even have an epigenetic effect. Even mm. the genes that get turned on and on, on and off in us can be related to the social context in which we are living. Mm. So... It is extremely important that we think about how we create social contexts that will facilitate 
um, the best in us. And that does require us to have much better education about the nature of the mind mm. and what it is that will facilitate us to uh, move towards compassionate stars of living because we're not living in hunter-gatherer societies now so mm. we live in a very different world mm. but we do need a hunter-gatherer type brain mm. that caring and compassionate brain mm. to uh, to texture our relationships um so that's very important I mean, the other striking thing is your critique i mean there's a social critique in your work but also quite an interesting critique of excitement itself and and of you know going back to those three systems that in my own experience, I think I've been in some ways quite driven, you know, um, driven to uh, achieve things, driven to um, succeed and so on. And one of the things that I was struck by, you know, in, in my exploration of, of your work is the, the downside of that. This has an upside, obviously, but the downside of that. I wonder whether you might say a little bit about that and then we'll talk a bit, bit more. Sure. So what, was, what, what did you perceive as your downside for that? Well, I, I, I definitely felt driven, you know, that, that sense of, because um, I, I think, you know, to sort of talk more personally, that I, I felt that I needed to be a someone. Yes. You know, I didn't quite know what that meant. Yes. And it was always a disappearing horizon. Yes. And I'd often have this sense of achieving something which other people would say was great, but it didn't please me by the end. Yes. Um, if anything, I felt worse for yes. it sometimes. Yes. Um, yes. And then that would often drive me to think, okay, well, I can do yes. more. Yes. Um, you know, I could, I could, that could be better. I could always, I can always tell you yes. how things yes. could be better. Yes. You know? Yes. yes. Uh, I don't know what, what you say. No, that. no, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great question. So the point about it is you, you were always in a, catch 22 when we're like that right mm. because we're trying to earn a sense of connectedness basically that's we're mm, trying to yeah. have a sense of loneliness and or, or disconnection or whatever for reasons that you, you would know um so the brain then thinks ah hang on a moment but i can win the ticket i can work it out you know if mm. i become x or y then mm. people are going to really like me aren't they that's great mm. isn't it? right mm. the catch 22 is that yeah but there's a part of you that knows you're buying it mm. And mm. therefore, it's not genuine. Because uh, if tomorrow you fail, then they're not going to bother again, are they? Mm. So you have to keep it up, don't you? See? Mm. So although it gives you a short-term buzz, it can't give you a long-term buzz because it's the wrong system. It's mm. in the, mm. the drive system. It's not in the green system. Mm. So it can't give you that sense of connectedness because people want you. Because you, you, mm. just you, regardless <laughs> of whether you succeed, whether you fail, it doesn't really matter. It's just you we're interested in. That's all we're interested in. Um, <laughs> It's difficult to get that feeling of mm. just I'm okay as I'm a, I am mm. right now, you know. Mm. Um, so you know, part of what psychotherapy does is to help, and what Buddhism does as well is to help you understand you're you're okay as you are. Mm. And yeah, if you can do things and people like it, that's 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 kind of cool. I rather like it. Uh, <laughs> but that uh, that aspect that there's a sense and understanding, both consciously and unconsciously, that if this is the only way I can get accepted, mm. it's it's not worth anything because mm. mm. uh, the moment I can't do it anymore, you'll forget me, won't you? Mm. You won't want me anymore. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to continue talking more personally because one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to be able to meet you here in Derby is, is to thank you. Um, I feel a sort of personal gratitude to you because, you know, to share a sort of slightly personal story, but, you know, we're all persons, aren't we? So why not? You know, I've been practicing Buddhism for many, many years. Um, 
And I kept on finding myself in the same kind of problem. I would be in meetings uh, where I'd feel that something very important was at stake and I needed to speak up for that important thing or I could see that it could be better. I'd then get sort of rather hot about that and upset about that. People would then sort of withdraw from me and then I'd have to... I felt that I'd get hotter and more confused at trying to explain what I was trying to see. Um, and, I, and then I'd feel quite ashamed of that afterwards and wish I hadn't done it and so on. So I, out of that, that repeating experience, I, a friend of mine suggested CFT, Compassion Focus Therapy, that you created. And um, I mean, I've been doing it for a few years now and I found it's made a huge difference. Uh, so I do feel you know, personally grateful to you. I, you without you knowing, you have actually helped me. That's you know. wonderful, thank you so much. And me to me is quite important. <laughs> uh, you've really actually helped me. That's great. And, it, and you see how that is? I, I really struggled with yeah, wanting to yeah, be helped yeah, yeah. because I've been practicing Buddhism. And I've been doing this practice called the Metta Bhavna, which I, I thought we might explore a bit in a moment. And uh, you'd think I should be able to do that. Yeah. And, and I, there was something I was tripping up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, don't know where I want to. Where, I don't know whether that strikes anything for you, whether I could ask you more questions about that. But Yeah, and no, I think it's a wonderful question because I think people do uh, look to these practices almost for psychic healing, you know, mm. psychological healing, which sometimes it can be. But it's like saying, you know, I've been going to the gym, I'm super fit, but I've still got my, my ankle still hurt. And you say, yes, because you've got tendinitis, right? Mm. Actually, mm. you want to do less exercise, not more. Mm. So... A lot of the Buddhist practices really are about developing this deeper wisdom of knowing intentionality, uh, insight into the nature of mind and so on and so on, but they're not specifically designed to address underlying um, mm. emotional problems, partly because in the Buddhist traditions, they don't exist. I mean, mm. you you know, as the Dalai Lama says, you know, if you're part of a monastery and you're part of a connected community, you're part of a Sangha, I mean, you are part of it, you know, mm. why would you have a sense that you're not? Mm. So they then they don't. It, 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 it's the Western society that has this serious problem of people feeling disconnected mm. uh, and, and detached and not part of and the drive to be part of, which is, but in the Buddhist communities, of course, that just wasn't the way. That didn't, mm. didn't exist like that. So we need to have a therapeutic process that would address the fractures in the attachment system or the mm. problems that people have and they, the ways in which they try to compensate, which is mm. you spoke brilliantly, elegantly about that. But as you say, part of the problem is that there's an urgency in it, mm. an urgency to recognize me, to accept me, to see I've got the good, I've got the right, I can sort it, you're going to do this, mm. all of that stuff, which is really coming from this deeper level of uh, a need for connectedness, yeah. really. That's yeah, where yeah. it is, you yeah. see. And um, so in the CFT, what we would do is, as you probably know, we'd take all that and we'd say, oh, that's really interesting. Let's just talk to your the self that wants to kind of get hold of the committee and say, do it this way, mm. without shaming you. Mm. Okay, so mm. let's explore that. Let's really be a take a compassionate to this part of you mm. that wants to <laughs> say those things mm. to people relatively playful and allow you just to really explore what is that drive about because when you really explore what that drive is about rather than being ashamed of it and I should be doing this then you get in touch with the underlying that takes you into your own anger but it'll also take you into grief then the grieving will facilitate the process of allowing you to open and then have a different relationship with other people 
but the grieving in theft as you know is very very important mm. because all of these things are, are rooted in a deep fracture in the sense of self in relationship to others mm. uh, you know i was I, i've been really struck by that that fracture you know um you know for instance when i first came to buddhism i was taught the metta bhavana practice i don't know whether you've heard about that but that the cultivation of loving kindness mm, mm. and it starts with cultivating loving kindness to yourself very like mm, cft mm. and then you know loving kindness for all beings mm. actually for me it made matters worse because mm. i came to buddhism with a very very self-critical mm. even at times i think self-hating mm, mm. um habit mm. um nobody's fault you know it wasn't my parents fault but mm. you know they were very busy i have four or three older brothers i have a younger sister my parents worked full time in a in a in their own business so you know and i think looking back on it that something didn't happen quite it was not wasn't their fault um but i was struck by you know i was doing the metabolic practice trying to you know they said okay develop loving kindness for yourself i thought yes i definitely need that develop loving kindness for all beings yes that's definitely the thing to do and guess what i can't do it mm. so here's another thing i can't do mm. and then someone said to me um well just spend all the time just de developing loving kindness for yourself mm, mm. and that made it worse still because mm. then it was like you can't even get past the first stage mm. of this mm -hmm. so what happened is just to be conventional <laughs> is i just gave up doing it it just seemed to make matters worse mm, mm. and it was only by having cft mm. that i started approaching that again mm. so what how, why didn't that work because you, you should could think okay does that develop, develop compassion for yourself mm, mm. For me, that really didn't work. Mm. For me, it actually increased my sense of self-problematization because mm. mm. I saw that it was valuable, as I said, and mm. I couldn't do it. Mm. At least that's what I believed. Mm. What would you have said to me then? You know, um... Well, firstly, I think it's a wonderful thing you say, you know, the, the reasons for thinking about what is it that makes self-compassion so difficult. Yes. Yeah, very, yeah. very, very important message because yeah. it's very difficult for a lot of people. Mm. And there are different reasons for that. There are different things going on to do with that. So, you know, in therapy, we try to explore what that's about, what do you feel if you start to do it and so on and so on. Mm. But you, you, in CFT, there's always the big three in, in um, CFT linked to the threat system which is anger fear and sadness those are your big three and mm. so when you run into any block like this you've always got these operating under the surface so mm. in therapy what we would do we would begin to explore what that's about mm. and the key thing is really is helping you to we I, I, to help you be a little playful because if you come mm. from the back once you can be a little playful that loosens it up and then you can begin to think about you know this loving kindness mm. because you can have some fun with it you, see, mm. you can say mm. yeah but do i have to be loving the kind to assholes i mean <laughs> even assholes i mean are you serious <laughs> <laughs> so the key thing is loosen it up a little bit and then you say okay so let's think about that so what is it about and then we sometimes when underneath of it there is so much unprocessed rage and uh, sadness that it's just not possible because really what that is doing if you're not careful it'll start to try to cover it up it's like yes. it'll start to kind of you know rather than actually know you need to experience this i mean you need to be able to be okay with your raging mm -hmm. that's all right mm -hmm. and you can be compassionate to your raging mm -hmm. you know so sometimes um <clears throat> when we work with people have that we really facilitate their ability to rage you know mm -hmm. to literally say fuck you mm -hmm. and really feel that you know mm -hmm. so they so they're 
they can be compassionate to the fact that as a human being, they have that degree of pain mm. or they can just cry or whatever, mm. that there isn't anything that compassion can't take to. But if mm. you try to kind of impose it in a sense mm. and not listen to those hurt parts of yourself, right? not take them and say, mm. I want to know about your rage, talk to me about your rage, mm. fuck you, part of you. Mm. Um, then that's when the meditations get into, tr into yeah. trouble, I think. I mean, that's really, for me, I think it was it's more fear and sadness, yeah. although perhaps there's rage there as well. I've got plenty of that as well. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, let's do the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. Let's do the whole thing. Um, but it was, I, I think, looking back, I was trying to sort of pump it up. That's right. You know, let's just be well. I may, you know, you, you, you know, the traditional phrase, may I be well, may I be happy, yeah, yeah. may I be free from something. Absolutely believe in that. Yes, yes. But in some way, I didn't believe in that. Yes. And um, I just tried to pump it up. And then for me, it just created a sense of I can't do this. Yes. And yes. I've already got a long list of things I can't do. Yes. And feeling love for myself has now been added to the list. Yes, yes. Which is a very unhappy yes. consequence of that. Yes. So it's a great question because we all also, as you probably know, we don't go anywhere near love and not so much to kindness in the beginning. Mm. The, the big, because we often depressed people can't, they really it's mm. almost toxic to them. Yeah. So in our view of compassion, we talk about being sensitive to suffering and mm. being committed to try to do something about it. Mm. Whether that will involve kindness or not, we don't know, that's down the road. But the first mm. thing oh. is let's be sensitive to your suffering. Let's see mm. what the nature of your suffering is about. Mm. Let's see where the wounds are. Let's see what the feelings are around that. And then we bring the wisdom of compassion to that. So mm. now then, how would we hold that? How would we be with that? Okay, and that then becomes a way in which we then allow, facilitate, soften, if you want to use mm. that word, uh, and work through those. Um, because it's all wounds, you see. Yeah. It's all to do with wounds, right? Healing the wounds, healing the wounds, um, uh, particularly when the wounds bite you. <laughs> yeah. And then they bite other people, don't and they? They, bite other they people. don't just stick yeah, with yeah. you. That's why there's always mm. the three, you see. There's always the anger there because the anger slips out from time to time. You can yeah. see it that that yeah, anger yeah. there and it can can it can come out but the key thing is always whatever the dark side of your mind remember you never built your brain you never chose to have that brain that mm. to do that you didn't choose any of that so the key thing is just to say okay let me just find this let me work with my dark side my mm. raging mm. um and then that is what moves you mm. we, we have you know give you an example of some Another common reason that people get into trouble is because um, they the, the the rage can actually uh, uh, slip over into sadistic fantasy. Uh, Let's uh, see if they have sadistic fantasies yeah. about wanting to hurt people or they enjoy watching horror films or whatever. Then they say, oh, "I can't be compassionate to that. Mm, yeah. I'm so full. I'm so full of shit. You mm. know, I can't. I can't be compassionate to that. Mm. I can't be compassionate to myself." Mm. You know, I'm not. A, I'm just not a nice person. You know, mm. I can't. Mm. So mm. that's going to be another process, and then you have to do the same thing again. Okay, so let's think about what it is about you that's not nice, mm. and mm. how can we be compassionate to that, right. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so on and so on. Which is interesting. So, because I, I come to some of the more resistances to self-compassion in a minute. Because, but the other thing that I noticed doing CFT, you know, and it, it has been, I think, very important for me to do doing CFT. Um, thanks to you, um, was because <laughs> um, I've had psychotherapy before. And although I valued it, what I ended up with feeling is like, I've talked about my difficult childhood. You know, I'm very, I, I can be quite 
you know, I'm, I'm fairly aware of that and I can talk without blame about my childhood. But it didn't seem to make much difference after a certain point. You know, I talked about what I felt at the times, and this might have been my problem rather than the therapies that I've tried, but, you know, I felt, ended up feeling, um, yeah, I had better explanations for why I was often depressed and unhappy, which was my history. Um, but I didn't, didn't change that very much. I'd still feel rotten and unhappy, but I could tell you more about its etiology. Um, and it felt in CFT that it was, but then I've also done, you know, sort of CBTs and things like that, where for me, it felt a bit thin, a bit like, oh, yes, well, do you replace this thought with that thought? For me, it felt, I don't know, again, it might be my fault rather than the therapy, but, you know, a bit, a bit too, too cognitive, a bit more like, well, here's the answer to this question. And perhaps I was, but CFT seemed to be somewhere between that to me. There seemed to be a, an exploration of my past and an empathy for that. Um, I was struck by my therapist being quite empathic and feeling that I could talk to them. He was saying, look, I can't pronounce your name. And I said, that's, that's the first qualification. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be seeing a therapist who can pronounce my name. Yes. I didn't want a Buddhist, in other yeah, words. Yeah. I wanted another vision from myself. Um, do, do, is that your sense of CFT that somewhere, because it seems to have, talk, it has talking in it, obviously, but it also has practices. And you know, also, I'd be given, you know, it was my therapist who then said, how about you, there must be something in Buddhism that you could help you with. And I thought, well, I had this metatop method of Wagner practice, but I gave that up years ago. And he, you know, <laughs> my whole friends were laughing at me because finally after 30 years, I had to, had to pay somebody to tell me to do a practice I'd been taught 30 years before. Anyway, just what do you think? Is, is CFT somewhere between those two? Is it, it's your sense of, there's a bit of an argument, isn't there, between psychotherapy and psychology? And, Yes. No, I mean, uh, there are a lot of wisdoms in different therapies and we do use a lot of um, CBT because we do help people think about how they're conceptualizing, thinking about the world and so on. But mm. um, we're motivation based. So we're interested in the caring motivational system because that both physiologically and psychologically will organize your mind. And that is where humans are really rooted, right, mm. in our ability to be caring and accept caring. The problem is that... Um, just understanding it isn't necessary it can help but it isn't necessarily going to move you mm. how is it that you then experience caring coming in somebody mm. who genuinely cares about you now the therapeutic relationship is very very important for that mm. but one of the exercises that we do of course is compassionate image and mm. practicing what it is to have a compassionate image mm. and learning what compassion is now when you start off with compassionate image you think oh compassionate image is going to be kind and nice to me mm. But later on, you realize that you can just swear at it <laughs> so that you can just let yourself go, you know, or, um, uh, just have an, a tantrum if you want. And mm. the compassion image is always there. It accepts you whatever, right? Mm. If you've got to have a tantrum, you have a tantrum. Mm -hmm. um, and so the whole point about it is, is you begin to try to create in your mind an experience of receiving, okay? Mm. Because you, giving compassion to yourself, if those early attachments are a little bit fractured that's very hard yeah, yeah. it has to come has to come from the outside first so mm. the therapeutic relationship is part of it but also practicing compassion imagery and just practicing imagining talking to an individual who you would regard as the a most compassionate person who will accept you come what may mm. Mm. 
Okay, that's the mm. key thing. Come what may, come what may. Mm. So, um, and as you know, a lot of my compassion is based on rage, mm. <laughs> uh, because I think a lot of biological life is pretty horrible. You mm. know, all life has to be other life. Mm. We're very vulnerable to diseases and injuries. You just think of COVID. I mean, what a nasty little thing but a mm. dna that just goes around killing people is somewhere mm. nice with that. but mm. there's loads of these viruses out there mm. we don't live for very long and every you know the buddha the buddha's uh, four noble truths obviously are very very important everything is impermanent and so forth we're full of all these illusions so you know there's a part of me that says who the fuck designed this i mean <laughs> shoot the bastard you know? uh, <laughs> so compassion calls us actually into yes but now Nature had no mind, but you do. Mm. So now it's mm. up to you to understand it and now bring a new kind of way of na for nature to be, which, of course, in my view, would be the compassionate position. Mm. 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 I want to talk a bit about the, the resistances to that, because, you know, when I first sort of started CFT, I was very, very resistant to it. I mean, like really resistant to it. Mm. it eventually, I had to apologise for being so resistant <laughs> to it. What's your sense of it? Because you'd think that people would, and I and anyone and anyone watching would be, okay, self-compassionate sounds really good. Clearly, we need to be more compassionate. And I mean, you only need to glance at the world to think we need to be more compassionate. Why is it so difficult? And what are the resistances personally to it that you've seen? Yeah, well, we call them fears, blocks and resistances. So the fears are really... Yeah, but I don't know what it will do. I don't think it can help me. Uh, what will I become? Uh, I'll be letting myself off the hook. All kinds of resistance. And the blocks are the fact that people simply don't know what it is, right? They have all mm. kinds of strange ideas about compassion. Um, particularly if they get it off the internet, you know, if you have mm. compassion, you've got to love, you've got to have this love. Mm. Uh, no, you don't. Mm, mm. <laughs> you do not need love. Mm. Love is uh, love is good. I'm all in favor of love. But mm. what you need is this dedication. It's the Buddhist position, you know, this dedication to to be sensitive to suffering, nor sentient beings with a commitment to uh, seek to relieve it and under and the causes. Mm. It's not you know what is um. Uh, what, what's the actual thing? You know, sensitivity to suffering and its causes. And its causes and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I used to know this. Oh, it's gone <laughs> out of my mind now. Um, so that's the key. That's yeah. what it is. Whether you love people, whether you don't, is irrelevant. Right. Yeah. Okay. You so can, that's really important. Very, very important. Yeah. It's irrelevant. It's just yeah. this dedication. This dedication to try as best you can to be sensitive to suffering where you see it, try to understand its causes and do what you can to relieve it and certainly not to cause it. You don't want to be a cause of suffering if you mm -hmm. can possibly help it. So that's it. Whether you love people, whether you don't, doesn't really matter. Um, so like, you know, doctors, they don't need to love all their patients, but they hope they want to be as professional with everyone coming through the door. And, you mm -hmm. know, they'd be the same professional, the same professional support as they possibly can so that that's very important because love in the west is means you have to like and all of that stuff mm. in the 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 tibetan concept of course is benevolence mm. which is mm. a different a concept the, the, mm. the concept of benevolence the the benevolent wish mm. and it's got slightly translated i think incorrectly with this concept of loving kindness meta is a sort of thing but it's more benevolent kindness mm. a wish for you to be free of suffering mm. and i would do what i can to help you that's in that. a way irrespective whether you like that person very or agree much, with them. very yeah. much yeah. very much so that's yeah. absolutely right and that has implications for later if we go, get into the ukraine but so that that is very 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 important 
so first of all, then sometimes you have to clear out all this stuff that you don't need to like yourself particularly. Mm. Huh. Huh. Okay. Why do you need to like yourself? You know, you get up in the morning, you have a shit. Do you like that? Not particularly. <laughs> my body has to do it, so I have to do it cleanly, but I don't need to like it. Oh, so understanding that, you know, I'm a biological being that's been built and I've got all these things about me. I've got two arms and two legs. They're getting arthrit arthritic now and so on. I don't need to like it. Mm, mm, it is okay. what it is, right? Yeah, but what yeah. I can do is to treat it with respect and try to do what I can to minimize suffering so I don't, you know, cause myself too much pain really mm. and so on and so on so the key i think is understanding this sensitivity of what the buddha says is that life is about suffering mm. that's what it's about mm. right and the the in my view the, the, the at the center of the buddhism how do we deal with the life of suffering mm. this short life mm. that's full of desires for grasping that's full of pains and diseases and sorrows and losses how do we deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. And the Buddha said, as I understand, it's our reactions to these things that can actually step it up so we can have a lot more uh, dukkha than we need to mm -hmm. by how we think about these things, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think so. For, from my point of view, it's got a little bit um, tricky when people start thinking about love and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. really you want to strip it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was really struck by that with that it's, to do with sensitivity and suffering and a desire to yes, right. minimize it. it and, uh, and that, in a way, is straight, straight, it's at least straightforward in the one sense. Yes, that's right. Because the other thing that I'm looking at my own risk, risk sort of comp, slightly complicated sort of resistance to it is, and I don't want you to think of this, but I was, I was concerned. Partly I thought, do you know what, I don't want to go into my difficult childhood again. Um, I've done it lots of times and it hasn't yeah, made yeah, much yeah. difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And let's let I had this sense that look, I've got a limp. You know, I can manage, I can still do stuff, good stuff, but I've got a limp and that's just how it's gonna to have to be. Mm. One of the things I realized in looking at your own work is, and of course I should know, is that the brain can is always plastic. So you're not stuck with something, no. you're not you're not stuck with that, you know. I'm 60 now and I still can change yeah, my mind. Yeah, very you know? much so, very much so. I mean, the assumption is that you can't, isn't it? Yes. That you can't teach yes. an old dog new yes. tricks. Yes, yes. But that's not the case. We now know this thing called neuroplasticity, mm. that we can change our brains. But also, when you get different types of insight, you can suddenly change quite almost overnight. In, mm. a, a particular kinds of insight can really help you. Like if you, you know, you were talking, you would get quite, you, you, you had this monitoring system, this critical system that was constantly telling you, you can't do, you can't do, you're no good, you can't do, you're no good, you can't mm. do. So you, one of the things is to slow it down and say, okay, critic, I want to have an interview with you. I'm going to interview you, okay? <laughs> so tell me, what do you actually think? <laughs> See, and then the critic says, I think you're, yes, I, I think you're this. All right, then. So what do you feel about me? I think you're pathetic. I just got contempt for you. And what do you want to do to me? I want to shake you, wake you up. So when we do meet your critic, mm. what we find is that the critic carries a lot of the hostile energies, the sadistic attacking energies. Mm. And so, okay, that's all right. They can do that. And then you want to get behind them. So what's this about then? And then, of course, when you get behind it, you realize that actually that it's a lot of wounds that sit mm. behind the critic. Mm. So... The process is that if you just have loving kindness, right, do that, do that, you're not dealing with that hostility that the critic is carrying, mm. and then you're not getting to the next part, which is all of the wounds that sit behind it. Mm. And that allows you then to be compassionate to that fighting critic, but mm. actually at the same time saying, yeah, yeah, I can see that, but I'm not going to 
take it on board because that's harmful to me. You know, mm. you know what I mean? I can see you're very angry with me. I can see that. Then you're carrying all my wounds and all my pain. I can see that. But actually, that's not going to help me. So I'm not going to take mm. it on. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> you have a sort of slightly playful, but also this taking it less seriously, allowing yourself just to settle to become less serious about yourself and to realize as a human being, we've got all this crazy crap going on in our heads. Mm. Um, and so does a lot of the Western society. So mm. it's not just about me, mm. particularly if we've had very fractured attachment history. So that's not my fault either. Mm. Um, so by having this orientation, it allows that that genuine compassionate self to then start to come mm. through. Because mm. compassionate self not trying to suppress anything, uh, mm. and it has the courage and the wisdom to actually deal with any of your dark sides. Mm. Mm. You know, um, mm. so. I mean, the the other thing that struck me was because you know in in working with with people, one of the, one of the things that, again I was a bit resistant to compassion was I've met quite a few people is who under the guys of saying they're compassionate to themselves won't help you know i don't know whether you you know where <laughs> you're trying you're trying to you to look could you help oh no i need you know i'm, I'm look. I, you know yes. i need to be kind to, I, yes. I keep meeting people who need to be kind to themselves yes. and they need to learn to say no yes and i'm afraid what can that can often mean is that they don't help people very much yes um and that so that's turned me off self-compassion yes you know i mean um yes. that oh i need to be i'm, I'm being kind to myself yes um, yeah. The amount of people I learn, I meet who say they're learning to say no. Yes. I'd like to meet a few people who learn to say yes. <laughs> um, I don't know whether the, what, you know what where no, that fits in no, self-compassion, but no. that was one of my resistances to it. Yeah. No, I think um, that's again a basic misunderstanding mm. about what compassion is, about mm. you know the whole idea about that. I mean, the key thing really is that the more you can give people if you give with a joyful heart you, you don't get exhausted really mm. it's when you don't give with a joyful heart then you say i'm sorry i've done my 10 minutes of compassion today you've had it right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i try to be compassionate to one person every day but unfortunately you're not that person <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you've got compassion fatigue isn't yeah, it? yeah so people talk about that and you see it all the time you know south these self-care movements you know mm. when they just say oh you know i have to be have to be compassionate to myself you know what i mean mm. i've got to look after myself mm. i mean that's a complete misunderstanding about what compassion is really mm. Um, mm. Because it's not quite like that. Mm. What? Why is it not? Because it, it can sound like you just mean be nicer to yourself. You know, have longer baths. You know, <laughs> get some body rub. You know. Yes. Um, why is it? Is it? Why? What's? What's the difference? The primary difference? Well, it? see, I will always come back to the basic definition: yeah. it's sensitive to suffering. So be aware of your own suffering and to what degree you are causing it, right? So your critic mm. is causing you a lot of suffering, right? Mm. So you don't want to ban it or get rid of it. You want to go and interview it. So, so why are you causing me this much pain? Why do you keep challenging me and telling me I'm no good and I can't do anything? What's this about? Why would mm. you want to do that? Because you're mm. just inflicting a lot of pain, right? Mm. So I want to find out what is this pain, the desire to make me suffer? Why are you wanting to do that? Mm. So... That's, for me, one of the key dimensions of, of um, self-compassion is that we become aware of our own dark sides that we can launch against ourselves. Mm. And that when we learn to stop doing that and actually have a genuine desire to be sensitive mm. to our own suffering and for us to flourish as best we can, that's what self-compassion is. Now, the degree to which you then want to go and say to people, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't be compassionate today. I've done my <laughs> my five minutes. Um, <clears throat> I'm done. Mm. Um, mm. You know, 
Um, I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> we've got therapists, I think therapists say, oh, I have to treat myself with compassion. I can only see three or four patients a day because I just got to have self-care and look mm. after myself. Mm. Well, that's okay. But my view always was see as many as you can until you get tired mm. and don't do it anymore. End of story. What is all this? I got to look under myself. Um, so, well, that self-care thing seems to me can just get so tight. It does get very tight. It's like it's a bargain with life all the time. Yes, yes. Oh, I better not talk to you very much because right. I need to conserve something for later. That's exactly yeah. the point. Mm. That they see it as like giving out something that's, uh, you know, I've got £100 here. I, once I've spent it, that's gone. Yeah, but yeah. compassion is not like that. In mm. fact, what you find is the more you give out, the more actually it fills you up, mm. the more joy you can mm. have, actually. Mm. So... Um, yeah, I mean, mm. you you just you've got to be sensitive, sensible with compassion, of course. I mean, it's like if you go to somewhere in the world where they're starving and you give all your food away, so you end up uh, starving too. That's probably not terribly sensible, but mm. um, you just got to be sensible, really. Mm. We'll come on to that a bit more in a minute. But the other thing I wanted to mention was um, what was it? I mean, <laughs> I keep going to my mind and it floats off again. Um, oh, yeah, you know that. This thing about self-criticism, and I mean, it's striking how many people. I mean, I, I want to say how many people I meet who are very self-critical. No, it's very common in the I'm, West. I'm, I'm one of those people, so I can hardly. No, it's very common. You know, but also, there's something really good about you know. I was thinking artists are very self-critical. Musicians, you know, you play the guitar, and uh, musicians are very self-critical. Um, scientists, presumably, are very critical. You know. Presumably, you're not an, you're not arguing against self criticism. No, and this is um, a wonderful question mm. um, um, because self criticism is extremely important. It's all to do with the motivation. Mm. Mm. So hostile self critics really are just to undermine you and make you feel bad and punish you. That's what they're about. You're no mm. good. You're this. Mm. But compassionate self criticism is to actually inspire you to do better. Mm. Right. Mm. Say so like if I playing guitar and not doing very well, I can get frustrated. But then my compassionate self says, yeah, okay, well, just settle down and then maybe tomorrow have another go and <laughs> see if you can do it. Look, you know, look at this video or whatever it is. So the key thing about self-criticism is the ability to perceive error because you actually want to do that. You don't want to be deceived. Nobody wants to be deceived. If I'm not doing any good or I'm making a mistake, I absolutely want to know that. Yeah. But then the next question is, so what am I going to do? Well, the compassionate self says, well, then let's improve. Let's do better. Let's yeah. have another go. Let's yeah. see what we can do, right? And um, <clears throat> we've done quite a lot of research to show that um, individuals who are um, quite driven, if they're driven with this positive emotion to do well, not the fear of not doing well and mm -hmm. bashing themselves about, but they, they just want to do well and they get joy from doing well, they quite enjoy seeing where they've gone wrong and then they have another go, you know. Because mm, mm, mm. the, the, the assumption could be, oh, you know, I, I'm practicing my guitar, I feel awful about it, I'm rubbish at this, and I want to be, I'm going to practice self-care so I'll stop playing the guitar yes. because it makes me feel awful. Yes. And that's not what you're saying, it seems no, to me. No, you no, no, not um, at all, no. What, what I'd say to that person is you put your standards too high. You're not playing the guitar. Mm. You're not learning to play the guitar. You're learning to try to be a certain kind of guitar player. Right, and that's right. not the same thing. Right. Oh, right. You, unless I can play like this, you know, I can play like the other Paul Gilbert. <laughs> I'm not quite as good as him. The other guitar players that I'm not one of you. But when you play the guitar, let's see if you can make, can you make a note sound interesting? Mm. Can you make two notes sound interesting? Mm. Then mm. you're playing the guitar, right? Mm. 
Yeah, that's really so the that's the point then that in our society when we don't want to go through the steps, you know, we want to play the guitar for three months and then be have the experience of playing for 20 years. We want to play like a 20-year player. Oh, yeah. You can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of the compassion is the wisdom to realize that everybody starts at the beginning. There are steps to every practice, and you cannot be further ahead than you can be. Mm. That's mm. it. Mm. I, I want to really come back to that wisdom side because one of the other things that strikes me about um, compassion focused therapy and your work is is a, is a comp the wisdom side of, of compassion. But I keep wanting to rehearse my res resistance. <laughs> Sorry, was that no, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Resistances are wisdoms in our approach. Uh, They're the uh, wisdoms, and you've got to. We, we try to find out what that wisdom is, right? Because right, right. yeah, you, right. you're not resistant just to be awkward. There's mm. a reason for it, okay? Mm. Because it, there is a, a fracture or a hurt or a wound somewhere, okay? Mm. It's like a dog. If you go to stroke it and it backs away, it's probably got a you know a nail in its paw or something, mm. right? So, mm. Mm. see the other my other one other resistance was was this fear of being self indulgent. Um, now again, you know, I'm not saying obviously not saying that self-compassion is self-indulgent, but there is such a thing uh, as, as sort of being, is there not something about oh, being overly preoccupied with yourself? Yes. And I, I sort of feel that I had, you know, when I was young, I was very much um, preoccupied with the idea, feeling of being a victim. Yes, yes. You know, of my brother's aggression of, you know, uh, I, w I was, I'm, I'm gay from a small town yes, where yes, yes, at that time yes. that was, um, you know, a, hor a horrible yeah. thing, yes, you know. Um, yes. So I've grown up with this sort of sense of, of being a victim, and I, I, looking back on it, I was indulged that a lot. Um, so one of my resistances to self-compassion was I didn't want to go back to an indulgent place of, in my case, self-pity and, and and so on. But self-pity can feel a bit like self-compassion, weirdly. Yes, it's like you're trying to do that, but in this kind of narcotic yes. way. I don't yes. know what you think about self-indulgence and self. Pity. Yes, well, be compassionate to it. <laughs> okay, because the key thing, the key thing always is not to put the mind against yourself, oh, right? So right. I shouldn't be indulgent. Well, why not? You can be indulgent if you want to. It's all right. You'd be indulgent. See what that's about. What's that about? Mm. Um, so the moment you're trying to stop yourself and say, "I don't want to do that," I shouldn't do that. Um, whereas the compassion will allow you to just move yourself to a position where, well, I don't want to. It's mm. not. It's not relevant. Mm. I don't. I don't. I'm not interested in being self-indulgent. It's not. Mm. It's yeah, not yeah. relevant. It's not much fun. It's not it? much fun, right? Yeah. So it's not about I have to stop myself. Mm. You know, if I let myself be compassionate, then I'll become self-indulgent. It's not quite like that. It's recognizing if you become self-compassionate, you're not interested in self-indulgence, mm. mm. particularly. And I've even started to feel some bit more of that. It's just I've not so because you're weird. I was weirdly attracted to that as well. <laughs> yes. You know, I thought it was terrible and sort of kept getting stuck in it. Yes, you know, yes. Self-pity. Yes. Um, um, it can feel like it's going to help, but it, yes. it never does. No, it never, never does. But the key thing always, always, always is when you get something like self pity or whatever, is always try to see it as a as a as a wisdom in the sense of let me open this up, let me see what this is about, right? Mm. Rather than trying to oh, I shouldn't be like that or mm. push it away, mm. let me just see what this is about self pity. Mm. Well, humans have self-pity, so I want self-pity. Everybody else can have it, and I want it. You know, I don't want to be the only one without self-pity. What's ridiculous? <laughs> so you kind of take this view that whatever's turning up in your mind, that you would then take a compassionate position to it, mm. not fight with it or suppress it or tell you you're bad or criticize yourself for it. And when you do that, you decide, mm, 
Nah, don't really want to do that. <laughs> it's much better, isn't it? <laughs> so look, we've been talking quite a lot about the resistances to self-compassion, yeah. but I want to, you know, we're, we're better. I, I'm also aware I'm using. No, no, we're, we're fine. We're fine uh, for time. I put some other things. I want, off, put some things back. I want to go to this the question of wisdom because, you know, self-compassion has even the word compassion has a very emotional flavor, obviously. Mm, uh, mm. And it can easily be mistaken, I think, with being nice to yourself, a self-care movement that's, you know, if we're not careful, Buddhism will get dissolved back mm, into, mm, mm. which I don't think works. I don't. I, my instinct is that self-care doesn't work. It it creates what I see is creates anxiety and mm, um, mm, and sort of you know a sort of frozenness almost mm, at times mm, uh, that I've only got so, like you say I've only got so much to spend um, <laughs> and I've probably spent most of it now yeah. and you know I need to be in a vacuum sealed yes. bubble or something yeah, for the next right. one. Where do, where how did you get to this wisdom element of, of compassion? Because it it seems to be as much about growing as anything. Yes. You know, and really living out your potential. Yes. And how it seems to be a pragmatic way of how do you do that without turning against yourself? Yes. I, I used to think if I told myself off enough for doing things, yes. feeling sorry for myself, getting into a big yes. mood about things, yes. which I used to do very much, yes. I'd stop doing it. And of course it never worked. Yes. Um, but that's the instinct, isn't it? I'll yes. tell myself off and then yes. I'll stop doing it. Yes. How did you get from sort of to, to that wisdom element? Um. It's a great question. I don't know that I can answer it. I think, interestingly, because I was at boarding school and had all the stuff there that goes on, the abuses and stuff like that, and uh, I was always uh, quite an angry person. Not, I wasn't angry with people, never angry with people. I think I was always you know, quite fun to be with people, but underneath I was always quite an angry person and uh, very anti-authority, mm. and uh, I just would never put up with a self-critic. If a self-critic tried to be authoritarian, I would say, fuck off, right? What are you doing? I'm in that. Um, so I was never that kind of person that was very self-critical. I just wasn't. Mm. Oh, I mean, yeah. I get frustrated with myself, of course. I get annoyed and because I do things. So I say, oh, you fool, why have you done that? But never really had a strong sense of being either particularly good or particularly bad. I just, mm. just carried on through life, really. Mm. And um, so I think that, I think the, the, the other thing is that people try so hard because self-criticism often comes from effort yes, it's, yeah, there's yeah. deep deep effort under there um whereas i wasn't ever like that <laughs> yeah. i mean why is it that self-criticism is not it seems to be epidemic yeah it's really. a very competitive society you see mm. the competitive motivational system is a monitoring system all the time monitoring mm. how good you are compared to soup compared to jane compared mm. to fred you know are you good are you like them are you not like them so we're, we're taught from a very early age from school to compare ourselves to other people all the time mm. um and that social comparison drives a lot of mm. of uh, self-criticism particularly in the in the young mm. well, i'm seeing it in teenagers very much you know um, it's a great tragedy all yeah. wanting to be better i want to be better then i'll be loved and i'll be accepted if i'm better if i'm better if i mm. then i can be cool you know i can be mm. this i can be that i can mm. be Part of the group and all of that stuff and uh, it's all to do with the competitiveness mm. you know the, this neoliberal nonsense that we're into at the moment and mm. you know that's that's, mm. part, that's quite a major problem for young people mm. and social media presumably oh, is yeah, absolutely because you can now compare yourself with thousands of yeah, people rather that's than right, that's right. five friends that you've got or that's right i mean in hunter-gatherer societies i mean robin dunbar has done brilliant work on this i mean he you know, about 150 people were in the group, 100, 150 people. You know them from the day you were born to the day you die, right? Mm. 
So there, there wasn't any kind of this social competition. You just had fun with them and went mm. hunting with them. Or and presumably you knew their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, you, you just didn't idolise one no, person. No, that's right. Them. Everybody had a place, and mm. there's a place for everybody. Mm. And the child rearing was very different. Mm. You know, there was the the whole group would raise children. They would be responsible. We wouldn't have these sort of locked up in these homes <laughs> when mm. you got your parents who can batter you or whatever. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting question. I've never been particularly um, self-critical. Disappointed, of course. Mm. Uh, I'd like to be a better guitar player. <laughs> of course, that's true. Mm. But um, I just find, I always found the world, I always, I just had always had the, there was always a sense that there was something seriously wrong with the world. Mm. Always had that feeling since I was very, very young. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't exist. Mm. That sort of sense. Mm. When I was in Africa, I remember some of the things there when I saw how they used to kill animals and stuff. And one day um, somebody visited, because we lived in the outback. We didn't have any um, running water or anything. My mm. father had been very traumatized by the war. He'd been in the RAF and decided he didn't want to stay in Europe and took a job in Africa. Um, this person with leprosy came and, oh, it's terrible. And I remember that haunted me for a while. And just thinking, oh, this shouldn't be. It shouldn't, people shouldn't have to experience this. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Um, so I always had that very quite strong sense that mm, this is not right. Um, and then in 95, I watched the documentary on the the Holocaust. It was the 50 year anniversary of the Holocaust. And uh, it was one of the BBC specials and they do these things so brilliantly well, mm -hmm. don't they, with all the music and everything mm -hmm. and what went on in the camps and everything. And I mean, I cried for about two hours and I was never the same. Oh. And uh. I was not the same. Mm -hmm. I just thought this is seriously wrong. You know? Mm. humans are seriously fucked up seriously mm. fucked up if you can do that if you can do that on the scale that you're doing it mm. uh that's serious we have to stand against this dark side we mm. have to so that so that partly is after 95 that's when you start to see a lot of the push to study compassion so mm. compassion must be the way that we can go how does it work what do we mm. do how do we make it happen how does mm. it work in the brain you know? mm. <laughs> Well, as you say, you know, because you, you, one of the things about the, those Holocaust documentaries that one should always remember is that you could have been on either side. Yes. You know, yes. Um, yes. You could have been the, in, the, in the Jewish, in the camps, and you could have been the yes, commandant. That's you know, extremely um, important point. It's so easy to sort of think that you would be always on the good side of history. Yes, that's right. Um, and one of, one of the wisdoms of your approach, I think, is to yes. completely look at the, yes. as you would say, the dark side of That's our That's right, because we've often been on the other side of history. You know, mm. we've often been the slave traders, mm. what we did in India and so on and so on. So, no, no, there is no escaping. Mm. Every human being has the potential to be um, a Buddha or a Hitler. Mm. Mm, Perhaps not quite as extreme <laughs> as those, but they on a dimension yeah, somewhere in that sort of somewhere, somewhere in that sort yeah. of spectrum. And it's uh, partly luck in a way, you know, mm. if you get born into or you get a certain genetic hand and you get born into a certain environment, certain family, certain culture, um, you're more likely to go to the dark side. Mm. Um, so I want to sort of we'll better start to draw this close, but we you know we've been talking a bit about quite a lot about self compassion in the I do think that is very, very important. I, I've experienced it as being important in my life. And mm. one of the reasons I wanted to meet you is to, because I'd like more people to know about mm. your work and, and CFT, because I meet lots of people like me are very self-critical, mm. um, depressive types, you know. Mm. Um, mm. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I've harmed myself and I've harmed other people through that, mm. you know, and I'd be nice not, not to do that anymore. Much, you know, right. On balance. You know. right. um, but, you know, uh, we're, we're talking here and we're, we're you know, in the we're, we're in your war in Europe again. Um, you know, and what on earth can we do? Here we are again. And, it, you know, I've got friends whose parents are in Ukraine and, you know, I was going out for a coffee with one friend and. I'd met just met another friend whose parents were packing their car to drive to Poland, mm, mm. Uh, and I had that same instinct that we 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 can't be doing this. We can't be in this divided world where you know, my friend's parents are packing to go to Poland and they're blowing up the bridges in his town yes, right. so they can't be invaded. And I can go to a posh coffee shop and have a in yes. a in a completely safe place, yes, yes. you know. And the fear of self compassion is oh yes here here we are again all saying. Yes, we need to be kind to ourselves. That's why I wanted to be so testing of that, um, because it could be so indulgent yes. in a world that's you know full of horrors. You know what? I mean, it's too big a question, but what you know what? Where can we go with compassion and self-compassion that to, to help a you know hugely troubled world that's always been in trouble, hasn't it? It's, it's not just now. We've just created more and more ways of hurting each other you know? yes well you've mentioned before the issue of the wisdom part right yeah okay so look look <clears throat> but let me give you some examples supposing there's a fire right would you prefer to have a firefighter who's trained to get or would you like me to rush in not knowing what i'm doing because i'm terribly keen to save you right <laughs> i think you'd probably choose somebody with some wisdom so the first yeah. thing the mm. first thing right is um what is the wisdom of conflict resolution now there's been lots of studies on this. It's not yeah. it's not complicated. There's lots yeah. of studies about this, so we can begin to use our wisdom. Begin to build up our wisdom about how are we going to um, sort these conflicts out. So the first part of compassion is then to allow yourself not to know. Yeah. I don't actually know, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't actually know how to make a vaccine. But I know that was important to do, mm. and I know that there are people that did know, and there are know that people that made vaccines. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. So we, as a as a group, as a society, we develop the science, we develop the wisdom to create a vaccine. Blah blah blah. We need to create the wisdoms of how do we deal with these conflicts? Because what we know is, if we go back to the primate way of doing things, mm. I'm stronger than you, and I can protect myself from threatening you by mm. threatening you. Mm. That is not what the world needs right now okay mm -hmm. there has to be other ways so compassion is firstly then become informed become politically engaged take an interest find out what are the what are people thinking about in terms of conflict resolution mm. now <clears throat> there's a whole other issues about should one ever use violence i personally would probably have been in favor of uh, a no-fly zone personally mm. because that was still over the territory of ukraine it wasn't going into russia and it was just simply saying look we cannot allow you to bomb these cities mm. blah 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 that'd be, that might have been a bad idea not mm. a good idea mm. so the idea that compassion is never defensive Mm. That is not the case. Yeah. A, a good society has a good police force because yeah. we realize that not everybody is, unfortunately, has the opportunity to be compassionate. Some mm. people are not, so they're criminal. Um, and we do a lot of work in the prisons as well. So we work with people who have done criminal things. Okay, mm. So we can certainly be compassionate for them. But the prevention of suffering is extremely important. And you know, in our definition, we talk a lot about the, the psychology of prevention. So prevention is very, very important. So not only do we need to deal with this 
um, situation mm. now, um, but we also need to think about how are we going to prevent the same old story that we've had for over 6,000 years all over again in mm. another country somewhere, mm. via Neymar, via wherever it is, mm. because we have to find a way as human beings to live together mm. and to prosper together. So, you know, because already we've heard, I've listened to things on the on the internet saying, oh, you know, NATO needs to build up. You know, we've had the peace dividend. Now we need to build up our weapons. You know, we've got to put the money into the yeah. yeah and these people have probably got a lot of shares of the weapons. Yeah, yeah. For I know, but that is not wise mm. because we have to see that violence might be necessary, but it's a failure. Mm. It's not a success. Mm. Creating safe environments where people can feel safe and secure with an integrated society is that's how we feel safe. The same mm. in the Palestinian Israeli situation. If they treated the Palestinians in the way that we did with Germany and built them up, blah, 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 mm. they'd have a very different case now. So mm. it, it, we, we, I think we have the wisdoms. We just don't have the political will at the moment mm. to instigate them. So that's why we need everybody now to get politically active and demand that the world finds compassionate solutions to conflict mm. we demand mm. it you know what it's not like the you know so that's what i'd like to see mm. well, that's, very, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's really great that's really great before we finish i want to just because i'm thinking of you know people watching this and you know we've said we've talked globally we've talked personally i, I don't know and this might not be what you want to do but I, I wonder for someone watching this say someone like me when i was young you know tendency to depression you know you're, you're seeing depression now is becoming a pandemic and it's you know like used to be the sort of thing that middle-aged men would have and it's now happening to t young teenagers and um and it's becoming a, a, a major disease burden and you've written about depression uh you know so let's say someone like someone who's very very self-critical can you what what you know and perhaps they can't afford at the moment cft or whatever what what would you say to them how what what would you how could you help them? Can you help them now? You know, say, well, here's, here's some things you could do. Yes. So friendships. Mm. I mean, firstly is mm. when you get depressed, you tend to want to socially isolate yourself and not talk to anybody. So the first thing then is to open up a little bit. Now, there are a number of self-help organizations like um, there's the one in, um, in um, Mind yeah. and other places. So find out a little bit about other people who are depressed, right? Find mm. out a little bit about them. Realize you're not the only one. Mm. Secondly, it's not your fault you're depressed. You, you didn't choose to have a mind that made you depressed. Mm. You didn't go on a course. How can I be depressed today? <laughs> you didn't practice suicidal depression. I, mm. I need a suicide, you know. Mm. So all of the, the dark side of the mind are angers or panic attacks or depressions are, they're not chosen. We don't choose them. They just get turned on in us because we have brains where that's capable of happening. And that's that's true for, as you say, an increasing number of young people. So the first thing is try to, as best you can, not take this personally. I mean, oh, you're yeah. feeling it personally, but your brain has gone into a depressed state for whatever reason. It's important to try to figure that out as best you can, but don't blame yourself for being depressed. Mm. First thing, very mm. important. Don't, you mm. know, I'm weak, I'm this or whatever. Mm. No, depression is a horrible state of mind. I had a depression in my early 20s because I got very angry about something. <laughs> and you can read about it in Overcoming Depression if you want to. So, yeah, so these, the first thing. The second thing is that if you are being driven by self-criticism, realize that underneath self-criticism, right, 
uh, and it can be horrible, the self-criticism, is what are you yearning for? You're yearning to be loved, basically. You're yearning mm. to be valued. You're yearning to be connected. You're yearning for people to really want to be with you and so on. And mm. so we honor that yearning and then we think, okay, so now I'm going to be compassionate to my yearning. I'm going to work with my yearning. I'm going to accept it. And if I have to have a cry, then I will. But the key thing then is, Imagining then having compassionate conversations with yourself. So the next thing is, supposing you could imagine a really compassionate person or a compassionate part of you having a conversation with you, have it. Mm. Talk to them. Imagine mm. talking to a really compassionate being because your critic would just turn up. Mm. Why do your critic turns up? Oh, I don't want to talk to them. Listen to me because I know your shit, really. I know you're full of crap. So your critic will always turn up because mm. you don't you don't invite your critic, don't you? Mm, you don't yeah. say today. I think I need to criticize myself. Critic, could you come and criticize me, please? <laughs> it never happens like yeah, that. It doesn't know. No, it just turns up. Whereas your compassionate self, you do need to come mm. and practice that and develop that and and work with that. And the other thing is to always remember that your brain will respond to what you focus on. So, for example, if you're if you're very hungry and you see a meal, then that will stimulate your saliva and stomach acids. If you uh, just imagine a meal, it can stimulate the same pathways in your brain. Mm. If you see something very sexy on the television, that will stimulate your pituitary, which will give you arousal. But you can just imagine something. Mm which will stimulate the same pathways in your brain, just your imagination. Mm. If you somebody's critical to you, that will stimulate your threat system. But if you run it in your mind, you're stimulating the same pathways. Mm. If somebody is kind and supportive to you, mm. helpful to you, that will stimulate particular systems in your brain. Mm. And if you do it for yourself, you can do the same. You can stimulate your own brain systems by what you practice, what you imagine, what you think. Mm. And then, so it's just a case of then practicing having compassionate conversations with yourself, right? Mm. Yeah, you can beat the shit out of yourself if you want to. There's no law against it. Mm. But it's not going to do your brain a lot of good. Mm. Uh, whereas if you practice the more difficult, the more courageous, the wiser route, which is learning how to support and look after your fears and your worries and the injuries and hurts that you might be carrying, that will help you. And always, of course, if you are already struggling, go and see a GP. It's always very, very important. Go and see a GP and uh, reach out for whatever help is out there for you. Mm. Well, that's a really great place to thank <laughs> you. It's just, uh, to finish, just to say thank you personally uh, for what you've given me. And I hope by our conversation, more people can be helped oh, by yeah. you and by what you've discovered in your, uh, well, in your that life. Was, work. That, yes, that would be wonderful. And I just carry all of the things of all the thousands of people over the thousands of years that have all been saying similar things. Anyway, look, it's been a great yeah. pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, it's been likewise. wonderful. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been, been great. great. <laughs> Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.